Chiefs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. Nick, how's it feel to be talking about regular season hockey again? It feels good to watch games and to see these Montreal games and these Ottawa games with fans in the crowd. I think that's like the big thing. Um, but I'm ready to see some American teams against the Leafs. I think I'm over watching Montreal and Ottawa against the Leafs. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, well, thankfully, the next game is against the Rangers. We're recording Sunday morning here. Uh, the next, at least three are against American teams. So I think it's going to be a good week. I think, as you said, just having fans back has made a huge difference. But let's get into how this team's been through three games. So they're two and one. They have a win against Montreal on opening night. They then split a home and home against Ottawa, winning last night on a Saturday night. Uh, obviously, Austin Matthews is out. Uh, Ilya Mikhaev's out. We have an emergency backup goalie already. What's been your overall thoughts on the team this far? And once we get just some overall thoughts, I want to get into just your bright spot. So let's start just with overall thoughts. Overall, I think it's you know a pretty good start. I mean, all three of the games, I feel like they should have won. Um, even the game that they lost, I mean, if there's any way that you want to lose a game, that's probably it. You get two lucky goals early in the game from the Senators. One that's kind of that kicking motion that didn't get called, uh, which probably was a good goal in the end. But the second one goes off a hand, and Mrazek doesn't really have a chance there. Um, but even in that game, I didn't think the Leafs played that bad. I really liked their fight in the third period, especially to come back in the game. Probably got became a little bit unlucky in that third period where Riley could have scored there, hit the crossbar, hit the crossbar right at the end. So, you know, even that loss was okay. So, four points out of six to start the year, um, including that back to back. So, I'm pretty happy with it. I think overall, I think everyone has to be happy. There, you look around the league and you look around the division, and, and Tampa's having trouble, Montreal's having t- trouble. So. It's early in the season. You get you, you bank your points, so it is what it is. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think Leafs fans are, are overly dramatic, sometimes rightfully so, understandably. But um, you look, yeah, as you said, you look at the standings. You know, Tampa's been really disappointing. They have the same record as the Leafs. Um, Buffalo's undefeated. They're the two and zero, and then you have a team like Montreal that's zero and three. So without Matthews, I think two and one's the record we would have expected going in. Um, you know, one and two when two games were against Ottawa with no Kachuk. I don't think we'd be happy with one and two. Obviously, three and zero would be ideal, but but two and one's about right. I don't think they've been uh, perfect. I think there's some some holes on this team that we kind of saw going in, and they, they still look like they have those holes. But let's get into you know you know I want to get into both the positives and the negatives here. Let's start positive. Let's start with your bright spots. Give me it'll be very similar to three stars. Let's do three each. Give me your number one bright spot for the Leafs thus far. So number one star has to be Willie Nylander. He's been their best forward after three games. He leads the Leafs in virtually every important stat. He leads them in goals. He leads them in assists, takeaways, shots. Um, I think we're going to get into the power play later, but I think he's the real catalyst to why that power play looks a lot more dangerous than last year. Um, He leads the league right now in takeaways. I think he looks more engaged in battles, which to me is the real difference between 
this year and past years. Um, he's always been great at, at zone entries and transporting the puck up the ice. I don't think that's changed this year. Um, but he just looks like he has taken it upon himself to be kind of the leader on this team on the ice uh, in these past three games. So it, it's a really easy, you know, number one star. I'm sure that he was your number one star as well for this week. Yeah, he's been their best player. Um, I mean, you maybe put Jack Campbell in there, but I, I think Nylander's easily been their best forward. They haven't really gotten much out of Marner or Tavares in terms of points so far. Uh, Nylander's leading the way with four points in three games. Uh, he's he's also first in, in forwards in terms of expected goals for about so about sixty seven percent, and and that's really the same for for both just goal differential and expected goal differential. So. The team's just really succeeding when he's on the ice. He's carrying his own line uh, with Kerfoot and Bunting. It's not like he's you know relying on John Tavares to, to lead the way. Just elite in transition. Uh, he's a good playmaker. He's a good goal scorer. Uh, I just think he's he's really been their best forward, probably in the in last year's playoffs, if not their best forward, but one of their best forwards. And uh, now he's even killing penalties, which is kind of weird to see, but. Uh, I do think the power play ha- has looked much better this year. I think he's a big reason for that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, if he was my first star as well, I can't really knock you for that one. So, you took Nylander. So, I'm going to go... I'll have to go Jack Campbell. Uh, he's 2-0. and The importance of him has definitely increased as Peter Mrazek got hurt in his first game. And he's just been ex- incredibly steady uh, so far this year. So... Opening night, he saves 31 of 32 in Montreal to, to pull it a, a close 2-1 win. And then he goes 10-10 coming in for Peter Mrazek. Gave him a chance to come back, although they didn't. And then last night not, last night against Ottawa, he goes, again, 20 saves out of 21. So he's been outstanding, really, in all three appearances thus far. Um, definitely was very steady in, in last season and in last year's playoffs. So obviously goaltending is really the most position, important position in hockey. I wouldn't say Campbell has the same track record as a Vasilevsky or a Rask, but so far he's given this team all the confidence they need uh, that they have good goaltending. So I, I, he's really their most important player, um, as, as every team's goalie is, and so far so good. Like This team could easily be 1-2 if they had bad goaltending. Uh, uh, fortunately, Campbell's been as, really as good as you could ask for so far. Yeah, especially when he came into that game, um, the game in Ottawa. I thought he was excellent when he came back um, after Mrazek got hurt. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's 22-5-3 as a Leaf right now. Um, he's, he's above 920 as a save percentage as a Leaf. So he has been kind of their savior. I think Leafs Nation's love for Campbell has just skyrocketed after the All or Nothing series. Um, I know my love for him has skyrocketed. He just seems like the best guy. Um, the teammates seem to absolutely love him. Um, so I think we're all rooting for him. We, we need to just, uh, you know, in, in your words, we need to put him in saran wrap uh, so he doesn't <laughs> get injured as well because then, uh, you know, the, the Michael Hutchinson era might start. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird to see the Alex Bishop era starting, but <laughs> I hope he does well in his midterms. Let's talk about, I want to get your second star. I think the first two are obvious, Nylander and Campbell. Let's get into some second stars here. I'm wondering if you just have an obvious one or if yours is a bit outside the box. Um, I think if you've, you know, seen any of my tweets over the last like 
three, four years, this this star should be quite obvious. It's going to be Rasmus Sandin. I mean, he has been, when we talk about um, five-on-five shot differential, Sandin's been the best on the Leafs in terms of that. He's been the best in terms of expected goals. When he is on the ice, the Leafs are peppering the other team with, ch- with chances. So he looks so dangerous when he's on the blue line um, in the offensive zone. He made that fantastic pass to Simmons last night. Um, the big thing with Sandine that I've noticed is Keith isn't really sheltering him. I know in past years, like for example, when Travis Dermott um, was on the third pair with Polak and Dermott looked, and with, with Ozaganov actually is probably a better example, Dermott got a lot of offensive zone starts and he really took that and he flew with it. He completely crushed those num- those minutes. Um, and we're seeing that with Rasmus Sandin right now, but to a, to a lesser extent in terms of deployment. Like he's getting about a 50-50 uh, zone start share so he's starting a, a fair share of his uh, shifts in the defensive zone and he's still coming out with you know a 60 percent or 65 percent uh, shot attempt differential so he's been absolutely fantastic I think he looks more like a high-end third pairing defenseman than he does like an AHL defenseman at this point like I don't think we're going to see him with the Marlies anytime soon he's been fantastic I think he's here to stay and I think sooner or later we're going to start talking about him as you know a potential top four defenseman sooner than rather than later. I think he's been that good. Yeah, I had him as my next guy as well. So you're still in on my players today, but I think Sandine's an obvious one. He's got two points in three games. Uh, he leads the Leafs in expected goal differential at seventy three percent. He's also operating at a hundred percent goal differential because he has not been a lot. He has not been on the ice for a goal against uh, at five on five at least. Um, he's been good on the power play. His passing's been outstanding. I think just his yes. ability to create offense in the offensive zone. The Leafs just look like a different team when he's on the ice. He looks like a real weapon. Um, I, I you don't see too often defensemen that can really drive play offensively or really drive scoring chances, but. Uh, his vision and just his ability to, to thread the needle has has really stood out through the first three games. Um, and I, I do think that there were questions or some valid questions about a Sandine-Dermott pairing, um, especially with Dermott playing his offside. They didn't really have the, the steadiness of a, of a Bogosian. But so far, so good for that pairing. Uh, it's been an excellent third pair. The Leafs are getting very good results with them on the ice. Um so yeah, I, I do think that with Sandine, I mean, I, I've been a big fan of his over the last few years watching him with the Marlies. I, I, I've seen what he could do. But I, I do think that there's different questions that get asked when you when you do make the jump to the NHL. And, uh, you know, we haven't really seen Sandine's full year, like RAPM chart, or, you know, we haven't really seen that his weaknesses play out over a full season. But so far, so good. Like this is exactly the type of start you, you'd you'd want to ask for through three games. I, I'm sure there'll be some growing pains, particularly defensively at times. But really, you could not ask for a better start. I think he's been one of the Leafs' best defensemen through three games. And that's pretty impressive for a rookie. Definitely, I always love watching him on the power play or, or even at five on five. And I like to kind of notice what the defense, you know, the the, the other team what their shape looks like before Sandine receives the puck and after when whoever he passed it to uh, when they receive the puck. He's so good at drawing in defenders and you know making them think he's going to shoot or go one way and then going the other way. And you see how much time and space 
the player that Sandin's passing to has after that pass. And it just causes these dangerous chances and for that defense to actually shift and be out of place. So uh, I just love watching him. I do agree that defensively there have been a few concerns. I definitely in his just raw speed, a few times when there's been dump-ins, um, Sandine starts to track back. His straightaway speed has always kind of been a bit of a concern um, by his standards. And forwards, especially faster forwards, like I know Josh Anderson got in on him. Um, they can be right on top of him, and, and he can lose some races to pucks as he retrieves them. Um, so that's definitely the big concern. Like, And just tracking back, I think... Um, I think it was Paul Byron game two last year, like similar place to that where Sandine's at the blue line. There's a bit of a foot race into the neutral zone. And I just don't know if he has that foot speed right now to, to keep up with some of the better skaters um, in the league. But um, I think that's just the one main concern. But, you know, he's still very young. Like, I think we forget that he just got drafted like two or three years ago. So this is exactly what you want. I think he's been fantastic. And uh, that's just me nitpicking at this point. But let's just get into your second star here, because we I think we can talk about Rasmus Sandin for the full podcast if you wanted to. Yeah, he's been so good. I mean, those concerns are valid, but yeah, so far so good. hasn't hasn't been on for a goal against. Can't really complain there. But right, my second star, I am going with a for another former Sue Greyhound. This is going to be our third former Sue Greyhound out of four so far. Um, and who knows? Maybe Neilander played some games with the Greyhound secretly, who or maybe knows? in the future. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if he's eligible, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to go with Michael Bunting. I think he's been one of the one of the bright spots so far. I think he's, a, he's a kind of a clear fan favorite. He had a good preseason. I just think the grit that he brings, uh, the effort that he plays with, uh, his compete level every night is, is really admirable. Um, obviously he's a player who has, doesn't have much of an NHL track record other than a a kind of a 20 game stint with Arizona last year. Um, I I do think that, you know, we did see some positives with, with Arizona, but there really wasn't enough there to say, you know, to, to, to bank on bunting being a a good performer with the Leafs, but really so far so good. He, like Sandini has not been on for a goal against, um, he is fourth on the team and expected goal differential. Uh, he looks like someone who, I wouldn't call him a top six forward, but he is someone whose skill set seems to complement top six forwards quite well. He can get right. to the net. Uh, he can kind of mix it up with the opponents. He can he can frustrate others. He can draw penalties. Um, he had a big insurance goal last night against the Sens that, that really, I don't want to say put it out of reach, but really solidified the win. Um, so far, so good for Bunting. I, I don't know if I... If he's someone who I want in the top six come playoff time, we'll see. I think he still has a lot to prove in that regard. But I, I do think he's someone who I want in the lineup come playoff time. I, I, he looks like an NHL player. And really, that's that's all I can ask for at this point. So, again, he's not on – with Kerfoot and Nylander, I wouldn't say he's on you know a stack line because Kerfoot's probably not a, a real second-line center. But uh, so far, so good. He's playing well with Nylander. I wouldn't even mind seeing him with, with Matthews and Martyr once Matthews gets back. Um, so far, so good for Michael Bunting. Yeah, and I think one of the big um, things, like criticisms that I got or that he got um, when he first was signed by the Leafs was, oh, well, you know, he only played with guys like Garland and, and pretty decent players in, in Arizona in that small stint. So how do we know like how good of a player he is? And it was such a small sample. He had a high shooting percentage. But the good thing with the Leafs is they have a ton of skilled players 
And even if he doesn't play in that top six, he can play on the fourth line with a Kerfoot and Spezza when they're completely healthy. And I think that's a really good fourth line. So I do want to also, I also want to see him play with Matthews and Marner when they're fully healthy, but I don't think it's out of the question that, you know, a bunting Kerfoot Spezza fourth line would look bad. Like, I think that's a very good fourth line. I think that would generate a ton of offense. And I think that also gives Spezza, you know, a player that can finish on his fourth line, which, you know, he very rarely has, which is what we're going to get to in, in a bit. But um, I like that pick too. I like Michael Bunting. I like after he scored him going into the crowd kind of thing and hyping them up. Uh, he just seems like one of those guys that loves to be here. So, uh, and, and Toronto loves those types of players. So I think he's going to be a fan favorite. But uh, I'll move on to my third star here. I'm going to go with David Camp. It's going to be a bit off the board, I think. Um, I think there was a bit of mystery with Camp, you know, especially just being such a defensive player. Um, you know, this was a, a signing that really showed that the Leafs are committed to having that defensive third line. And just going to read this off. I tweeted this last night, but I was just looking at some of the stats after last night's game, and, and I noticed David Camp. Um, so 60% shot attempt differential, 57% expected goals differential at 5-on-5. Five five. He started three face-off offensive zone face-off starts, just three, and 20 defensive zone face-off starts in three games. And then he's played against the Stutzel line, against Ottawa, and he virtually mostly played against Anderson, Dvorak, and Drouin against uh, Montreal. So, I mean, that is exactly what you asked for from a defensive third line. Um, I don't think he's going to be at the 60% shot attempt differential going forward. Like, I think if he breaks even or even is at like a 52-53, I think that's a huge success given his deployment. Um, but I'm excited to see him against, you know, some of the big lines in the league uh, or against, you know, better teams like Tampa or even to see him in shifts against like a McDavid line. Like, I think if Camp can be above water at 5-on-5, five five, at that deployment, the Leafs are going to be a very hard team to play against, especially with when they're healthy and have Matthews, Tavares, Camp, and Kerfoot as a fourth-line center. Yeah, I think a lot of people have liked him so far. I, I'm fine with that pick. Um, I think the third line in general looks pretty good. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a 3A, 3B setup right now with Spezza being the more offensive of the bottom six lines and Camp's line being the more defensive, uh, really by a mile. Um, but I think with Engvall and Kasha, they're both two good skaters. They both have some transition skills, so I think they fit well with, with David Camp. Um, whereas Camp is, it can just really focus on the defensive side. I, I, I've liked that line so far, but they haven't scored at 5-on-5 five five yet. I think there is going to be some offensive questions. Um, but I'm going to actually throw my third star in with yours, and I'm going to go off the board, I think, a little bit, and that's Andre Kasha. Um, I think that, you know, just the fact that he's in the lineup is a major positive. He doesn't have a point yet, but he generates a lot of individual offense. He reminds me of Kasperi Kapanen in that regard. He gets a ton of shots on goal. Um, I, I just think that it's an important role for the Leafs because David Camp, for all his positive defensively, is very limited offensively. And the Leafs are going to need to get some sort of offense out of that third line. I've liked Engvall. I know I'm kind of the president of the Engvall fan club, but Kasha is going to be key because I think he's good enough to kind of generate some individual offense for that third line. Um, 
I, I know some people think, you know, he's not a top six, so, you know, let's write him off. But I think that third line offensive drivers are going to be a really key role. Kasha can kill penalties. He can play against top competition. I know Sheldon Keefe's liked him. Even though he doesn't have a point in three games, I've liked Kasha. I think that's going to be, and we said this time and time again, that's going to be a real steal if he can stay healthy. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I did look at his, um, I noticed his uh, individual expected goals after at five on five and like he's had seven shots in three games um and he has had the pretty similar deployment i mean obviously they play on the same line as david camp so um that's definitely a positive i've been kind of skeptical i guess of kasha being on that defensive third line um when i first saw it during the preseason i do think it's i don't want to say it's a waste of offensive talent to be there but i'm it's starting to grow on me i think Last year, we saw um, Mikheyev and Engvall generate a ton of dangerous scoring chances that virtually led to zero. It led to, you know, Mikheyev doesn't have very good finishing ability. Engvall's finishing ability is kind of inconsistent and streaky. So having Kasha there, I can definitely understand the kind of the thought process behind it. Having a guy that can finish has had a track record of, of generating points in the NHL um, on pretty good teams. So... I definitely understand that. Like, if you can get, if Engvall can get that line and Kasha obviously, and and transport the puck up the ice, and having Kasha there to to have that offensive skill and and finishing ability there, then if that third line can generate more offense because of that, I'm on board. But um, I still would like to see him play with Tavares or Matthews at some point during this season. But uh, for now, Camp and, and, and Kasha, that third line is doing well, so I can't really complain. So with him, I don't want to see him as Matthews. I think Kasha's shoot like just his career, like shooting numbers, like how often he shoots is nuts. Uh, I think there's only one puck, so I want Matthews shooting. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I feel like Matthews is better than Elander or Marner. Kasha with Tavares, we'll see. But yeah, I do just think you're gonna need offense with with David Camp. Um, like someone's going to have to chip in offensively there because Camp isn't. Um, so I, I do like him there. I think what's kind of weird putting him as my top three star is just because like, I think, I think they were best in, in game one, but Engvall, like Engvall was their best player in game one or one of them. Um, and, and maybe they weren't as good uh, in last night's game, but I, I, I'm, I'm encouraged. I think it, it definitely frees up, uh, the fourth line to kind of be more offensively focused. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's. You know, maybe a bit of a weird third star, but so far I'm just encouraged. I think with the lack of top six forwards, they're really going to need Kasha to kind of step up on that third line. Um, but let's get into maybe some of the, the not-so-good parts. Um, I guess the, for, the, for the remaining bright spots, I'm just going to say that just some general ones quickly. The defense in general I think has been pretty good. Um, Spencer Carberry has really gotten the power play going especially when you compare it to what it was at the end of last year. I think that's been a major positive. We could probably go on and on about a, about a few others. Like Dermot's probably kind of deserving. Um, I think you could put Engvall after his first game or TJ Brody in there. But let's get into, I guess, some of the, the, the weak spots. My number one is is Nick Ritchie. I just don't think he's been great. Had two and a half million. Uh, and the role he's in, I think I'm expecting a little bit more. Is, is, he, is he in your bad category as well? He's my number one uh, concern right now. 
uh, especially with that contract, especially with the the opportunity that he's going to be given. Um, he's just I, I'm I'm just struggling to kind of see what he brings to the table, other than you know the hits and the toughness, and and that is something that I do value. I do think that that's that's important, um, but. I mean, to me, it's like you, you need to be able to, like the puck, the puck cannot die on your stick. Like if that is a negative, even if you're bringing physicality. So, um, you know, driving play, finishing chances, having defensive impact, like those things are important as well. And in those categories, I just don't know what Nick Ritchie has brought through the three first three games. Um, I don't know if Sheldon Keith agrees with me. It seems like he, he, he does, considering that he has the, uh, the Jimmy Vesey talk, according to the beat writers. So... Um, I don't know if the word vanilla was brought up, but uh, you know, according to my timeline, everyone everyone brought up the vanilla line. So it was, <laughs> it was uh, which that line in particular was absolutely amazing. I thought um, in the all or nothing, but yeah, definitely he's my number one concern right now. I don't know where he's really going to help. I I think he was. A, I think speed was a big concern when we first talked about him in the off season, Kevin. Um, and that is a concern that I still have now. Um, but just keeping the play alive, like I, I find that whenever he gets the puck, it usually leads to a turnover or, or a good play kind of ends. So he is a big concern. Yeah, he's in, he's incredibly slow, which I think is the big issue. Um, right. And yeah, that picture going around was, was Keith kind of talking to Ruchi at practice. We don't know what was said. I think that you can draw similarities to the VZ situation, especially because... You know, VZ started the season last year in the top six on a line with John Tavares and just never really stood out. Um, and I think Richie is, is so far in that category. I mean, he's, he's got the second worst uh, expected goals for differential on the team at 43%. Um, I think defensively is re- where he's really struggled. Uh, he has the worst expected goals against per 60 on the team right now. And I can see why. Like, he's slow. He does not really get in passing lanes. Um, I think, you know, if you look at Engvall or Mikhaev back when Mikhaev was healthy, like, they're big and they're fast and they just get in passing lanes. I think guys like Martin and Elander, their speed can really be a weapon in terms of takeaways and, and defensive play as well. And and Richie just seems like, you know, I think everyone who's played hockey before, like, when you're on the ice and, and the person defending you is really slow, it's just it's very easy to just beat him out wide and, and get some space for yourself. So I have serious concerns about his defensive game so far. Um, the hits are, are nice to have. Um, I think he's, he's going to be a good net front scorer when he gets set up. But in terms of handling a top six role, I, I have serious concerns. Uh, I find him with Tavares is, is just too slow. Like Tavares is not a great skater. I, I, I kind of want Tavares to be the worst skater on his line rather than have someone even slower on that line with him. Um, and, and really, that Marner, Tavares, Richie line hasn't done enough uh, through three games. So I, I am going to point the finger at Richie so far. Uh, unlike VZ, it is a multi-year commitment, and he almost makes three times as much as VZ made. Richie's around 2.5. Um, and it's worth noting, he did not get a qualifying offer from the Bruins. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't really get the signing at the time, and, and so far he looks like someone who's going to be competing for, for more of a fourth-line role because he's not going to be on that on that David Camp line because he doesn't have the speed to play a checking-line role. Um, so it's really either you, you look like a top-six forward or your fourth-line at 2.5. So, so far, that looks like a bad signing. Um, 
not really sure what to think of it. He is not Zach Hyman light whatsoever. Um, so far, I think he's the, the the number one, I guess, concern or I guess bad thing about this Leafs team so far. But what's your number two? Do you have anyone else on there? Yeah, I think Richie is number one by far, mm-hmm. um, especially when you look at contract and the commitment that they have. Number two is Michael Amadio. Like, I don't, I'm not really too passionate about this one. Um, I mean, obviously he's he's up because of the injuries that the Leafs have. I'm sure that as soon as Matthews comes, um, Kerfoot will probably go to the fourth line and Amadio will be sent back or just a scratch. Um, I'm just not sure really what he's brought to the table the last three games. You know, the, the Leafs' fourth line or, or 3B line that includes Spezza, at 5-on-5, five five, that's been a big strength of theirs pretty much since Spezza's joined the team. Um, and I just don't think that they've generated much or even close to to enough in the past three games, despite having Spezza there. Half of that is probably just the fact that obviously the Leafs do have a ton of injuries with, with Matthews and Mikhaev. So I'm not too passionate about this one, I, but I guess number two would be Amadio um, in terms of, you know, kind of those dim spots. Yeah, the fourth line was horrendous through the first two games. I think Spezza's, like, expected goals against differential was, like, under 10% or something. They had a really good night last night, so it's kind of been a, 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 it's a, it's a hard evaluation. But I think Amadio, even last night, wasn't that uh, wasn't that much of a standout. I think Spezza and Simmons had good games. Maybe Amadio was more of a passenger. But as you said, I'm not too passionate about Amadio. You know, he's someone who probably signed here thinking he was going to be on the Marlies. Um, at least I think we both did, um, and kind of locked into a roster spot at the last minute um, with with Matthews getting hurt, or Matthews, I guess, not returning as quickly as expected, Mikhaev getting hurt, and then he did win the job over Adam Brooks, but uh, so far he hasn't been noticeable really whatsoever. As a fourth-line center, you know, it's fine for now because I think we both expect him to be back with the Marley shortly. Uh, whenever Matthews gets back, but yeah, he he's definitely someone who hasn't really proven that that he did, he belongs at the NHL level based on his play through three games. So I think it's definitely uh, he's definitely in the in the bad category. Uh, I can't I can't argue with you there. Um, I think in terms of my I'm gonna go just with with one more weakness. I'll probably have to say the the Muzzin Hall pairing hasn't been maybe as good as you'd like. Now Hall is sick, so I don't know how much that played a role. Um, Muzzin is his his goal differential has been a bit weak. I thought he did pretty well with Lilligren last night. Um, it was great to see Lilligren get a game in and, and play fairly well. Um, but I do think that's a bit of a not a concern, but it hasn't been maybe as good as you'd like. I think you could put Tavares Marner in that category just in terms of offense, though they've had some, they've had their chances. Um, I mean, there's not a ton of negatives this early. I don't think anyone's been horrendous, um, but I, I do think that what kind of stands out to me is the lack of of top six forwards, especially when one's missing. When one of the big four is missing, it just looks like they have three top six forwards, like three true ones, and. Um, I, I do think that that stood out. Now, Nylander's been so good that he's kind of helped to hide that fact. But, um, you know, they don't have the same forward depth as, as they once did when back when they had Kadri, JVR, and all those guys. Yeah, I mean, once they're healthy, I think they their depth won't be that bad. Um, 
like I think their 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 fourth line will have Spets and Kerfoot. So I, I do think depth won't be an issue once they're they're healthy. But right now it's like, you know, you have Simmons and and Amadio on your fourth line, um, who are virtually taking a ton of offensive zone starts yet are way below fifty percent of shot attempt differential. So I think that's probably one of their biggest weaknesses right now. And you know, hopefully. Matthews comes to the lineup sooner rather than later. But, um, yeah, I definitely agree with, with Mazen Hall. I do think Hall got kind of left out to dry on a few of the goals, especially on uh, when they played in Ottawa, um, virtually having to defend more than one person and, and it leading to a goal. But, yeah, I don't think they've been great. I don't think Muzzin's been great with the puck, especially on breakouts. It's, it's almost very uncharacteristic of him. He's He's a pretty underrated puck mover, I would say. Um, but this week he has not looked very good. Hopefully that's just a one-off um, because obviously Muzzin Hall has been a staple in this defense pretty much for the last year and a half, um, and they ride them pretty hard, and they've been really good. So I'll say this. Let me ask you one question. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your timeline looks like. I do see a ton of Lilligren overhaul kind of tweets um, on mine, and especially after last night, Lilligren looked, Pretty good. Um, so I think we're going to see a ton more of it. Does Muzzin and Hall, as a pairing, will they be a pairing entering the playoffs this year? If you had to predict. I'll say yes. Um, so I think... I think Lilligren and Hall have fairly similar skill sets, surprisingly. Um, Lilligren isn't as strong offensively as he was kind of thought to be at draft time. But Lilligren's a good skater. He's good at defending the zone. I think they both benefit from from having Muzzin, someone who can A, move the puck fairly well, and B, is, is really good around his own net. Um, I, I don't really... Muzzin plays the shutdown role primarily. I don't know if I'd expect Lilligren to be there in his rookie season um, come playoff time. So I'm going to go yes with Hall. They've had good results for, for back-to-back seasons now. Um, I, I, I want to see Lilligren. I think Lilligren could be there maybe in the long-term option. Um, if there are injuries, I think even if it's a, a left-shot defenseman that gets hurt, I think they'll move Dermot over and, and bring Lilligren in. Um, so I do expect Lilligren to play, you know, 30 games this year because there's going to be an injury. Um, so, so yeah, I think I'll, I'll go with Hall. I think the incumbent is, is more likely. I think just the way Keith talks about it, kind of having a clear top four, and also the fact that they protected him in the expansion draft, I think uh, I think that'll definitely go in, in Hall's favor. I think that shows that they like him. Uh, I do think Lilligren played well enough. Like if if we had a time machine, I'd go back and I would protect Jared McCann, who's got two goals already, um, and probably let Hall walk. But I, I got I, I understand why they did it. I think you don't really want to gamble with with your defense. Um, especially in their top six, they only have one right shooting defenseman, uh, and that's and that's Hall. So I, I get why they did it. I think Hall will will be with Muzzin come playoff time, but I, I did like what Lilligren can bring, and I think Lilligren's an NHL defenseman on uh, most teams. Like especially if you weren't like if, if you played for Buffalo or Detroit or a team that's you know not trying to be a top five team in the nhl i think he's easily an nhl defenseman it's just they have six other defensemen he he can go down to the marlies without going through waivers he's, he's just kind of a bad spot 
Um, but really, they got to prioritize the success for the Maple Leafs and, and worry about Lilligren next year. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. For me, it's it's the competition. Um, if Muzzin Hall, for example, did not play as many defensive zone starts, they didn't play the top competition that they did, I would say that the gap between Hall and Lilligren is probably smaller than it is. Um, but I do not think that they're going to give Lilligren that type of deployment in their rookie year either. Even last night, they did not give Lilligren one defensive zone start. So obviously it's his first game of the year. Um, I wouldn't expect that anyway, like any coach to give it to him. But I do think it's going to take a while for, you know, if, if he ever gets there, for Lilligren to get that type of deployment that Muzzin Hall get right now. And I don't think they want to give it to Riley and Brody. And they definitely don't want to give that type of deployment to Sandine and Dermott um, as a pairing. Yeah. So... I do think Muzzin Hall is still kind of the the pairing that the Leafs are really trying to trust, um, or that they're gonna trust. So, but I mean, I don't think Lilligren really needs to be in that spot this year. I think he's still relatively young. For now, I just want to see him play a you know larger sample in the NHL, even on the third pair, to see what type of defenseman he is in the NHL. And and you know maybe we have this conversation of him replacing Hall next year. But I, I think just think it's too early at this point. Yeah, this is really a great problem to have, is having a seventh defenseman that, you know, you think is good enough for the top six, but you don't really have anyone that, that deserves to come out. Um, this was not the case for, for many seasons as a Leafs fan, where you had six good defensemen and then an extra. Um, so I think it's a great problem to have. I Don't get me wrong, I love watching Lilgren in the lineup. I want to see him play, you know, 30 NHL games this year, get his feet wet, uh, let's see what he can do. Let's get him some experience at the NHL level. Uh, I think that's it's it's really great to see. It's not like I'm wishing anyone to get hurt, but uh, I would like to see him play 25, 30 games. Right. Uh, he does look like someone who's going to contribute this year, um, but but ultimately the Leafs have six other defensemen. Um, they already have a, 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 a young player in Erasmus Sandin in the lineup. They also have uh, Dermot's still pretty young and playing his offside. They have Riley, who might as well be young based on the way he plays. So it is a, a kind of a tough lineup to crack fit-wise and just the fact that there's six other good defensemen. Um, but yeah, so far so good. The other thing I wanted to to mention, uh, just in terms of this Leafs roster, I, I do think that they'll have a good fourth line. I just think they're missing one top six forward. I think Bunting's kind of look like someone who deserves to be there. Um, but maybe come deadline time, they go out and add another one uh, because Richie really hasn't hasn't really stood out yet. But how do you see this lineup shaking out when Austin Matthews gets back? I think we're expecting Matthews, Matthews Marner, Tavares Nylander, um, and then maybe, you, you know, you could put Kerfoot. It, really, the question is, where do you play Kerfoot? Because he could be on the second line wing with Tavares. He could be kind of providing some offense to the third line with David Kampf. He could be either on the wing or at center on that fourth line. Where where do you see this lineup shaking out? I think so. I think it's gonna be Matthews, Marner, and I'm. I think they'll probably keep. Um, they'll probably keep Richie there, and then For now. Tavares, Nylander, Bunting. They'll keep mm-hmm. that third line with uh, Camp, yep. Engvall, Simmons, and then they'll put Kerfoot at fourth line center. I think that's where he's suited best right now. I know people are pretty concerned about having a, a three point five million dollar player on their fourth line, but to me, like. Like there is one thing, obviously, staying under the cap and and utilizing the cap to the best of your ability is very very important. But like to me, the season's already started. Like to me, it's like you you try to make your lineup 
you want to win as many games as possible. And if Kerfoot right now, despite the the um, cap hit and his best use is on that fourth line with Spezza, I think you put him there. Like to me, if I'm Sheldon Keefe, like cap hit should not play a role in where you put the player. Like your best players need to go where they need to go. So for me, Kerfoot should stay on that fourth line with Spezza. I think that they've had a lot of success. Give him a bunch of offensive zone starts and, you know, that line can generate a lot of offense. Like, I bring this up every podcast. Spezza had over 20 even strength points last year. That's not normal. And that's not, like, find me another fourth line that has a player that's done that. I don't think you're going to find me one. So that is a very important line to this Leafs team. It's virtually a line that they have over other teams. Like, that's their strength is having a fourth line that can do that. So put Corfoot there and, you know, I don't know who you put on that wing at this point. Um, I guess it would have to be Simmons or, but, um, but yeah, that's where I'd put Kerfoot. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I, I think you made some really good points. I think if you're Sheldon Keefe, it's not your job to worry about cap hits. Um, I know people get really hung up on, on cap hits and how much ice time they're getting. Uh, I always find it a bit odd when, when people are complaining about ice time, to be honest, but, um, I think the, the third line really makes a lot of sense given Camp's skill set. Um, and I think Engvall and Kasha have been good there. Um, yeah. I, I think you could potentially move Kerfoot on Tavares's wing eventually. I think they're going to start with Richie there. If Richie keeps struggling, maybe you put Richie down. But right now, I, I do think you start with Kerfoot, Spezza, and I don't know if it's going to be Simmons, or, or I'm guessing Simmons to start. Uh, but I think we saw the importance of it last night where you have, if you have that fourth line clicking and they can add an extra goal or two every now and then, it makes a big difference. Um, in the first two games, we really didn't see it. The fourth line was a, a big liability rather than a strength. Uh, but if you can, I think Kerfoot Spezza, it, it's really going to be their third best offensive line. You know, they're going to be much better than the, the camp line offensively, I think. But that is a line that could beat up against opposing fourth lines. Uh, Kerfoot and Spezza have some some good numbers in terms of you know points per sixty in recent years. Uh, I think I think that's almost like a third line, and I have to say it because we bring up the Marlies Calder Cup team every podcast, but it is the same structure that they had when they won, which is a really defensive third line um, that doesn't score much, but matches up against co- top competition, and then a fourth line that really does some damage. So I think it is shaping up to be the same. I think uh, in terms of depth, I don't have concerns about their fourth line, especially if Kerfoot goes down there. Um, it's just adding one more top six forward. If Nick Ritchie can't do it, I think you got to add someone who, who can. Uh, but other than that, this team's looking pretty good right now. Uh, the goaltending has been solid, although the, the Morazic injury is a concern. Um so far, so good. I think we're on the same page in terms of lineup. It's just if Richie keeps struggling, we'll have to have, a, I guess, a conversation down the road of, of what to do next. It, it is a weird situation because I think last year the the biggest kind of criticism that a lot of people had of Sheldon Keefe was that he didn't scratch Thornton and Simmons even when they you know probably weren't in that top 12, like the top best, top, pretty much the best 12 players of the Leafs. And... I kind of see that problem potentially rising later in the season, um, especially when the Leafs become healthy, because Mm -hmm. I just don't know if they would scratch Nick Ritchie. I don't know if he would scratch Queen Simmons even this year. Um, 
and I could see some players being scratched like that are better um, over them. And I, I just don't know if you're, they're really going to optimize that lineup because they, they really value what Richie and Simmons bring to the table. Um, but I guess we'll see. Like, hopefully they learned a little bit from last year that, you know, they virtually said, like, they had a fourth line in the playoffs. Like, Spezza still did have, I think he had five points in seven games in the end. But, like, their fourth line was Thornton, Simmons, and Spezza. Like, you're virtually throwing out the strength of having a good fourth line by doing that. I don't want them to be in that situation this year. I don't want their fourth line this year in the playoffs to be, like, a Richie Spezza at center and then Simmons. Spezza, Simmons. I think that's the road they're, I think that's the road they're going down. Please, right now. no. Because I, I don't think that Richie's really going to be yeah. in that top nine. Like you said, I don't trust him on the defensive line. And I think Bunting and, you know, a different player is going to beat him out for that top six role. And I don't think they're going to put Simmons in the top nine either. So I think that's the road they're going down right now is having a, a fourth line in the playoffs or later in the season of Spezza, Richie, and Simmons, which I don't want to see. Yeah, I, I don't want to see Spezza at center. Um, and I think, as you said, in last year's playoffs with Thornton, that line's too slow, um, whether it's Thornton there or Richie there. Um, but yeah, I, I have that same fear. So I think Bunting and Richie are kind of competing for one spot in the top six come playoff time. So far, Bunting has a clear edge. I do think they'll add another top six forward at some point. Um, because again, I think they have four true top six forwards. I think they need to add someone um, come come deadline time. Um, and then I, I do have a fear, you know, Richie can't play on that third line. And then you're going to have Richie Simmons. Like if you go Richie Simmons and Spezza's not there, like where does Spezza go? He's not playing on a checking line. I, I doubt it. Um so, yeah, I, you know, you add Matthews in this lineup, you add Mikhaev in this lineup, and then you go and add someone at the deadline. You, I think there is a question of who comes out. I don't know if they'll take Simmons out. I don't know if they'll take Richie out. But for me, at this point, based on what I've seen of Richie, I think Richie and Simmons should be kind of competing for that last fourth-line spot as, as the guy that brings a physical element and that can fight. Um, maybe that changes. Maybe Richie picks his game up and, and starts to, to really capitalize on Marner's playmaking. But so far, you haven't seen what I want to see. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And another thing that's kind of concerning at this point is I, I think that the Leafs did have a ton of depth in the preseason. And I think since then, depth meaning kind of AHL, NHL depth, um, I still think they have a really good Marlies team. And, and we're going to talk about the Marlies today, uh, of course. But... For, for right now, I'm kind of thinking, like, who's going to push Richie and Simmons out of that lineup later in the year? You know, when Mikhaev comes back, when Matthews comes back, I do think there's still an avenue where both of those players play, especially if, even if, let's say, they continue to play bad. Like, I, I don't know if the Marlies really have someone, and obviously it's early in the season. Like, for you, who, who do you think's the first guy up? Um... Like Semyonov maybe comes to mind. I think Robertson still got some some growing to go do a little bit. Um, Hosang is potentially a, a guy that would come up. Like for you, who are your the guys that were gonna push those types of guys like Simmons and Richie out of the lineup later in the year? Yeah, I I don't want to get too far into Marley's. We'll we'll get to them in a sec. But in terms of just who comes up, I think it really depends on how Robertson does. He's really the the X factor there because. He's so young. He, I think we all see the potential. It's just a matter of when he kind of reaches that potential. 
Um, Hosang, I could see. I just don't know if I see him being like a, a massive impact player at the NHL level, given that he hasn't done it in the past. Um, Semyonov would be more of a 4C candidate um, instead of someone like Amadio. So I don't know if I, I really think they're factoring in all that much unless Robertson really breaks out, which he could. Um, but I, I, do, I do think we have the same concerns in terms of will they ever scratch Simmons or Richie. I guess the other point I wanted to make is I don't know if I love their offseason. Uh, like it's not really shaping out too great. I think the camp Kasha things look great. Um, the buntings look good, but I guess Kerfoot's been fine. I, I'm kind of surprised Kerfoot's still on the team um, at 3.5. I think Richie and Mrazek, probably not the best start, especially with Mrazek's injury. Hopefully he bounces back in a couple weeks when he returns. Um, but really, I'm looking at Richie's 2.5 and Kerfoot's 3.5 and saying, you know, that could have been another decent forward. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to ask, I'm going to put you on the spot here. But Dylan Strom is currently a healthy scratch for the Blackhawks. It looks like he's on the trade market. I was listening to Pierre Lebrun. Would you do Kerfoot for Strom? Strom makes three. Kerfoot makes three and a half. I think Kerfoot's probably better defensively. Both can play center or wing. What? I don't. I know you're not like an expert on Dylan Strom. You probably haven't done a ton of research. Yeah. But what do you think? Yeah, there's definitely some limitations in terms of how much I've actually watched Rome. I know that he's younger. I know that he costs less. Um, to me, like that five, I just don't know if that's worth it during the season right now. Like we know what Kerfoot mm-hmm. is, and I think that he, like I think he's shown that he's played well with Tavares on the wing. I think he's shown that he's he can play like a third line on the wing. I don't really love him mm-hmm. at center um, because Keith doesn't really use him as a defensive center. Um, but I really, really like him on that fourth line with Spezza. And I think this year, like, one of the major concerns with the Leafs should be how can we get Spezza over 20 points at even strength? And how can we replicate what he did last year, which was really special? And I think one way is by putting Kerfoot on that line. And so there's probably limitation here. Like, there's definitely limitation in my knowledge on mm-hmm. Dylan Strom. So I'll say you keep Kerfoot okay. for now. But... To kind of go back on your what you're talking about the off season, like that Richie signing for me was easily the biggest kind of I I don't want to say mistake like it's three games in, but I think that's the one I'm most concerned about. The rest of the off season I was actually decently happy with. Like like I want to see what Camp can do. I want to see what Michael Bunting can do. Um, I think these were the first times where Dubis kind of really went for an underrated player. Like I I think with the rest of them like VZ and Thornton. It was kind of like, you know, maybe there's some untapped kind of potential and value we can get out of these guys. But virtually it was, let's sign and see what happens type thing. It looks like they really trust Bunting and they definitely really like Camp as a player based on kind of what the beat reporters are saying. So I'm happy with that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to see these guys really break out as players. Um, but yeah, it's just that Richie one that I can't really get on board right now. But uh, I like him as a player. I like him as, you know... I like the, the toughness he brings. Um, and just in general, I think like he seems like a pretty cool guy. So I'm definitely rooting for him, but uh, I'm definitely concerned. Yeah, I mean, his cap, it's, Richie's cap, it's the same as what Matt Martin's used to be at 2.5. So, I mean, it's not the end of the world, but for a team yes. that, <laughs> you know, every penny matters and, and they really need, they're kind of in a cap crunch, it is a lot. 
So, I mean, I, we've kind of gone on enough about Richie. Hopefully he provides more net front scoring. I think he could kind of help on the power play. He is a, he's got pretty good hands down low. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's, they have some questions. In terms of Strom versus Kerfoot, I'm kind of intrigued by it. I'm, I'm, I think it really depends on um, what role you really need. So I think Kerfoot's probably, like Kerfoot's the faster player. Strom's not the best skater. Um, but what Strom has is size, and he's got a, he's got really more goal-scoring potential. Kerfoot doesn't score much, though he scored last night. Um, so if you're looking for someone who can maybe be kind of like a low-end guy to kind of play along Tavares, I think maybe, you know, Strom might be interesting there. I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, he did have a 51-point season in 58 games, though that was with Patrick Kane. Um, he's still just 24. I, I do think there's it's kind of intriguing, but... I don't know if I'd love Strom in his iffy skating with Spezza on a fourth line. Um, I think Kerfoot can play on the third line with Camp if needed in a shutdown role, whereas I don't know if Strom could do that. But it is kind of interesting. I just kind of noticed that he was available. Um, but I think going back to that 2016 draft, I think the Leafs got pretty fortunate that they were able to get Marner over Strom. Uh, I think the correct order after all these years, I think we can kind of safely say it was Marner, Hannafin and then Strom. Yes, that actually brings that's a good segue there. You know, also talk- it was Nylander over Richie. I think we could say too. Yeah, <laughs> I think at the time a lot of people wouldn't agree with that, but um, we won't get into that. But that is a good segue. I do want to talk about Mitch Marner a little bit. Um, obviously, he he's gotten a few points um, to start the year, but it's been pretty underwhelming, I would say, especially after coming from a playoff series where he was he was he was not good um he was not good he would say it himself he did say it himself so are you personally concerned about Marner this year um or do you think he's going to jump back and and you know once Matthews is back he's going to start picking up his assists and kind of go back to that player that he was last year um during the regular season like is there any concern about Mitch Marner for you um it depends what you mean by that like I think Marner's a good player. Um, he, he's got just one point through three games, but he, he's just a really strong... Like, if we ignore the contract, which is a whole different issue, I think he's just a real strong player. I know people are, are kind of frustrated with him because of their playoff struggles and for good reason, but I think he's, he's just a good overall player. He's a good transition player. He's pretty wicked defensively. I think he's been the least best defensive player uh, a few times in his early career. And I do think he's an elite playmaker. So I think whether he's with Tavares, whether he's with Matthews, and I do expect it to be Matthews, I expect him to have tons of points. Um, I, 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 do th- I, I don't really have any concerns about his ability in the playoffs. I think he's, he's a good player. Um, so I don't have any concerns from that regard. If we're going to put the contract into play, then I have more questions and, you know, especially the way his contract's structured. I've said in the past that I'd look at trading him because he'd have a ton of value to a non-cap team. So, yeah, it's it's really just a matter of are we, are we considering the contract because I think you have to kind of ha- ask some questions then based on what he makes. Um, but other than that, like, if, if we're ignoring contract, I think this is a heck of a player. I don't have any concerns about him producing this season. I think one of the the biggest things I've kind of seen this year from Tavares and Marner being together is 
I don't think they've been bad together in the first three games, but they definitely don't look the same as when they were together when Babcock was the coach. Um, I thought that they were just so good together. They At the time, they used to play top competition um, as a line. So I just, I, I would not, I would not want them to be against top competition now. Um, Matthews virtually takes that now, but I think now like it, it really is like Marner has to be with Matthews and I think Nylander needs to be with Tavares. So once Matthews comes back, I'm sure that's going to happen, but I, I just don't like the Tavares-Marner Tavares-Marner combination as much as I used to. Like I remember last year, you and I used to have that conversation about, you know, if they switch that up, then we'd be, you know, perfectly happy with that. I don't know if I, I'm still on that boat. Like I think that Matthews-Marner is the right combination to go with now and Nylander-Tavares. Yeah, honestly, I don't know if I see a big difference between Matthews Marner, Matthews Nylander, Tavares Marner, Tavares Nylander. Um, I do think that if if Marner's going to stay with Tavares, that you'd probably want to get a better left winger. But we've seen Marner and Tavares like basically lead the NHL in primary points over a full season playing together. Uh, I think the skill sets line up well. Um, but I do think that it'll be Matthews Marner just because of the ice time. Uh, they like to play Marner a lot. They like to play Matthews a lot. Um, I'm guessing it'll be Matthews Marner and Tavares Nylander to start. Um, maybe they'll switch it up midseason if they need a spark. But I don't have too strong of opinions. I guess it'll be uh, it'll be just kind of interesting to see what happens when when Matthews is back. And I can't wait just to have two good duos again. Like just to have really two almost basically two first lines that's really the strength of the Leafs um when one of the big four is missing I just find that uh it's such a difference maker you know like I'm so used to watching four stars and when it's just three it's just kind of uh I don't know sad to see you sound like the most spoiled NHL fan I've ever heard in my life well not if we're gonna talk playoffs if it's it's three stars I'm not watching it has to be four stars (laughs) oh it looks like we got some breaking news here one minute ago, Matthews is wearing a bl- regular blue jersey at practice. So I th- I think that I might be spoiled again pretty soon. Wow, your your acceptable number of stars is about to be uh, meet is about to be met. Sorry. <laughs> so maybe we'll get the lines uh, in a few minutes here. But uh, while we wait, or if we we might not even get them, uh, I want to get into the Marlies. So we've we've seen exactly one game. That's one game. It's a big sample. I think we are are pretty uh, hyped up for this Marlies team. They look good. I mean, they played a pretty weak team in, in the Manitoba Moose, uh, a big rival, as you would say. But uh, so far, so good. I think you know they they look like the better team. They play again today, this afternoon. By the time this podcast's out, hopefully they have two wins. Um, they had good goaltending at game one. Calgary stopped 34-35. They have Hutchison, who's if nothing else, a good AHL goalie. But really, there's a lot of forwards that stood out. Uh, what did you think of, I guess, the game one lineup and who really stood out to you? Well, I think we have to mention Robertson and Hosang. I thought they were fantastic. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Hosang goal was amazing and both Hosang goals were amazing. I think you're going to hear, you know, Hosang from Robertson or Robertson from Hosang probably probably more often between the two, but you're going to be hearing those two connect on goals a lot this year. Um, I think their skill sets just in general, just mesh so well. Like, Hosang usually doesn't shoot the puck too much. He's not a big goal scorer. 
um, and Robertson loves to shoot the puck. So I think it's just a perfect, you know, even a, a development line for them. Um, other than that, I think I think Matt Hollowell, you know, a favorite of mine. I thought he played pretty well last night, but it's just nice to watch Marley's hockey again, especially with a crowd. Um, I know last year they they had pretty much their season cut in half, and and they were also without a crowd. So it was nice to see a nice big turnout for our Marleys. Yeah, I think that Robertson Hosang duo is going to be kind of elite in the HL level. Like it's like Janssen Kapanen. It reminds me of like Hosang's wicked in transition, especially the AHL level. He's a sick playmaker. Robertson's a really going to be a really good goal scorer, although it was backwards in game one. Um, I think that they're just going to be wicked offensively. It's going to be fun to see. I think I really like Hosang with the Marlies because you know he's going to be he's kind of the perfect skill set to set up Robertson and and generate some space for him with his entries. Um, I thought Brett Sini was really good. He had two goals. He also got stopped on a breakaway. Um, he's just super fast. And, and seeing him wearing number 13, even though it's a Marley's jersey, like he's pretty much Matt Sundin. <laughs> so uh, I like his speed. I think he's he, he's a good transition player. Um, I think Simeonov had three assists last night, um, which is, which is I mean, I liked him all preseason. I think I would have had him over at Matteo, uh, although it's only a few games, it seems. Um, so Simeonov looks like a, a really good AHL player, if nothing else. And then... Like, they got Abramov killing penalties, which is going to be fun to see. I think if he gets a step quicker, he's going to take off. Anderson scored a really nice goal. They'll get a Matteo. And then on defense, they just have so many vets, too. Like, Biega is, is really good for the HL level. Dahlstrom's fine for that league. Um, then, like, Duzak's good offensively. Hollowell's cool to see. Um, Krull, I guess we'll see what happens with him. But this is a team... And, and then they have that third line with Rich Clune and Curtis Gabriel. And it's it's just hilarious. Like, you dump I the puck it. in and you're just like, uh-oh, I feel bad for this defenseman. <laughs> Someone's getting crushed. Um, who, who would you say is kind of an underrated player on the Marlies that you think is going to take a big step this year? Like, like obviously, we know Robertson, Hosang are there. Um, mm-hmm. But if you had to pick one of the other guys that you think are, is going to take a huge step this year, who would it be? In terms of step, I look at Abramov because, for me, he's always had the offensive talent. He's got a pretty good shot. He's got very good vision, very good hands. Uh, the skill's there. He's killing penalties already. He reminds me of a young Adam Brooks. Now, with with Brooks, like with Brooks, it was a skating and size thing, and I think Abramov's got similar concerns. Uh, but if he could get a little bit more power in his skating stride, and I think he can. I, I really think he could take a huge step forward. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be on the Leafs this year. I, I highly doubt he'll play a game for the Leafs. But that's the player I really want to see go from being... like He's only played one AHL game, I think. I don't know if he got into anything last year. I don't think so. But that's the player I think could go from being maybe someone that, that's not a big player for the Marlies early and then turning into kind of a key player down the line and, and maybe looking like a, more of a potential NHL player. So... I think SDA gets quite a bit of uh, attention. I think Abramov's going to be kind of in that class by the end of the season. Yeah, and I, I am—I wouldn't say concerned, but um, you know, SDA wasn't playing with Robertson yesterday, um, unless I'm mistaken there. But you know, a lot of SDA's points last year were passes to Robertson. Um, he didn't play that much with the Marlies last year, but you know, SDA did a pretty good job of getting points. I will go with a different player. I think Abramov would have been my pick as well. I think he's probably one of the more fun guys on the team just being a, a you know a prospect that the Leafs drafted 
um, and that we've watched him with the World Juniors, etc. I'm going to go a little off the board here. I don't know how big of a step he's going to take, but I do think his role with the Marlies is going to increase. And he's a player that I was really impressed with during the preseason, and that's Philip Kral. I don't think he's going to be a player that, you know, is going to be on the highlight reel every night, but I do think he's going to be in the positives of the shot share. I think he's going to have, you know, for, for I'll say goal share as well. Like he was a plus two yesterday. I'm not going to get too much in a plus minus, but I, I just really like the way he plays. I think he's a very simple player. Uh, he makes a lot of really good decisions, and I think his size really helps him there. So I like the way he moves as well. So we'll see. He only played 10 games last year with the Marlies. Um, but I could see his role really changing throughout this year. Um, again, I don't think he's going to play with the Leafs at any point this year, unless they have go through some big injury problems. But uh, he's a player that I'll be watching pretty closely. Yeah, I, I, I really don't know what to make of Crawl yet, but I am going to be watching him too because he, he's kind of intriguing. All the young guys are, are definitely more intriguing. Um I, I'm interested with Hosang because he's off to such a good start. I actually didn't think he was going to be this good in preseason. Um, he's really impressed me. But I look at the NHL depth chart. You got Marner, Nylander, Tasha, and Spezza on the right side. With Simmons, is, is really belongs on the right side as well. So, you know, that's going to be kind of tough to make. Maybe someone moves over like a Nylander. But um, I I do think that if, if Hosang can, can keep playing well, I, I'm kind of interested to see if he can he can be a call up at some point or, or you know go on an offensive fourth line for a bit if there's injuries. So I, I, I you have to root for him. The crowd's been great. His celebrations were great. I think that's kind of been the the biggest bright spot so far for me. So I mean it's an 82 game season. Like we've seen a ton of players. Like Hosang's probably one of the well he is one of the better players on the Marlies. Um, like I'm thinking back to that 1920 team. Like, that was a team that, like, Pontus Adberg came up, Korshkov got games, Patan came up, Brooks. I'm just looking through the team. Trevor Moore was on, was with the Marlies that year, Pierre Engvall. So, like, it's an 82-game season. Like, a lot of things can happen um, in, terms, in terms of... And Mason Marchman was on that team, too. Um, a lot of things can happen in terms of injuries. It's a long season. Um, so, I do think, like, Hosang's going to get a game at some point. Like, he's probably not going to, you know... Well, potentially, but I, I don't think he will be on the playoff lineup. But uh, I think he'll definitely get a shot at some point. Uh, like, we've seen players that are worse than Hosang come up during an 82-game season. So I think it'll be fun. I think it's going to be a good Marley season. So uh, you and I will be happy. Let's get into the Amazon documentary. I know you wanted to talk about it. Yes, because we haven't yet. What's your, I guess, what's your main takeaways? Or what were your favorite parts? Well, I think Keith was the star of it. I, I think, yeah. in general... Um, they did a really good job of showing what type of a coach he is. Obviously, the communication between the management seems really good. There there are three, I guess, parts that I want to highlight. Um, some good, some bad. Uh, not of Keefe in general, but one of them was pretty well documented on Twitter. It's obviously the Thornton moment when they're having the leaders meeting, and Keefe is complaining about rebound goals. He says that virtually... The Leafs are not very good at generating goals off rebounds. I think they were 28th at the time. That's what Keefe said. And Thornton kind of sits back and says, well, you know, we're in first place. I think we're doing things right. Like, I'm not really worried at all. And when I watched it, I just chuckled. I was like, Thornton, you were brought here as a leader to be one of those guys that 
you know, would agree with Keefe in that sense because Keefe's worried about the playoffs when it matters. And I just thought it was hilarious, like, just, just Thornton being so relaxed there and saying, you know, that there's not really an issue. Um, and then in the end, you know, scoring those kind of those gritty playoff goals was the reason why they got knocked out. Uh, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I think that got overblown. I don't know. The Amazon series, I didn't look. I, I watched it because, you know, it's right up my alley. Leaves. It, it is It is cool to see some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. But I just think, like, there's so much that got cut from from the... So much that we didn't see and so much that got cut that it's so hard to know, to really get an accurate sense of, of you know, what Thornton was like. Uh, yeah, it, it was kind of weird. I, I felt some of the Keith moments were a bit weird at times. I'm not going to get into their playoff loss. Like, I, I feel like we saw it on Hockey Night in Canada last night where they were, like, criticizing Keith's speech in that game six intermission and it's like listen if the leafs would have won if oh, the leafs would have won yeah i thought we wouldn't have heard speech. the end of it from them right like hindsight is 2020 yeah yeah, yeah so for sure. i i still think like with thor and if they had gone on a big run you know maybe the narrative gets flipped um i did like him from a leadership perspective to be honest like just you know he really got along with with all the players um i think they did need some someone with a you know more of a positive mindset but, you know, he didn't trade for Foligno. He didn't have a bad deadline. I, I'm not going to criticize him too much, although I, I do. He probably should have taken himself off that power play based on how bad it was. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have any strong takes about the Amazon series. I think the best – Keith was definitely the star. Uh, I think the best part was the magnets, the Brandon Pridham magnets with the cap hits. I think that was my, my highlight. That was the that was your take you away. Those magnets, those are great magnets. Well, okay. Well, lucky for the fans here, I do have two more strong uh, things that I remember. So the the second one was actually another speech, and obviously there are cuts to these these uh, shows, but you know we can obviously only mm-hmm. comment on the ones that they do show. And I think you're going to be a fan of this because we talk about this quite a lot, um, and. Before Game 7, so the Leafs just lost Game 6, um, I thought Keefe's speech was really good. They obviously came out and outshot Montreal very badly, and then Dermott obviously did that turnover and they lose the game. But enough about that. Before Game 7, they're going into a game where their backs are against the wall. Everyone is expecting you know, them to, to lose the game. To me, they needed someone to, one of their big guys, to play that game like it was their last game. That's what pretty much Keith was talking about. That's the speech Keith was giving. Dubis calls in Marner and pretty much tells him, "Hey, look, you're one of the most important guys on the team. We need you to be at your best. When you're not playing your best, it's a lot more pronounced than when other players don't play." The and right before the game, they cut to to Nick Foligno, and his speech is pretty much saying, "Hey, guys, everyone needs to go out there and do their jobs." No one needs to be outstanding tonight, but if we all just go out there and do our jobs, we're going to win this game. And I listened to that, and I thought that was kind of interesting too because Felino's coming from teams like Columbus that, like, yeah, I mean, if everyone goes out there and does their job and they're virtually the underdog against the Leafs, yeah, they won the series in the end. But I do think the Leafs were not the underdog going into that Game 7. Like, they had to play like they were the better team. I don't know. I just kind of thought that that was the odd, an odd message 
like completely different from what the organization, like the position that they were in, the type of organization and team that they are. Like they needed Matthews and Marner and, and Nylander and Tavares to be outstanding that night, to be difference makers. Um, and I felt, kind of felt Felino's was like I think he still thought he was on Columbus, where everyone just needs to keep their defensive structure and you know hope a goal goes in and then win one nothing. But again, probably not a big deal, but something that stood out to me. And then to the third one, it's actually from Brendan Shanahan. Um, it's during a practice, and Shanahan and Dubas are talking, and they're talking about William Nylander. And I actually wrote the quote down because I thought it was pretty funny, coming from the president of the whole organization. And he says, when we get into trouble, like even in our own end, and it's bouncing and we are under pressure, and then it gets on Willie's stick, I feel much more comfortable and confident that we aren't going to lose the puck. And then Dubas kind of makes a joke about how it's it's kind of half Nylander not really having a, a getting under pressure and him just being nonchalant and they kind of laugh about it. And I thought that was hilarious coming from, you know, the president of the organization about Nylander, a player that, you know, every fan that doesn't like him wants to be traded and just to see to hear him virtually saying that he feels very comfortable when he has the puck and have such high praise. I thought that part was hilarious. Yeah, I, I thought with Nylander that that comment was funny. Uh, the Felino speech, I could care less about, to be honest. I think, like, the Bill Belichick thing is the do-your-job thing, which... That was hilarious, too. Which works pretty well. But I I don't know. I didn't have any major takeaways. I liked the Thornton uh, in the car listening to Bride Burke. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, obviously, the VZ thing was, was kind of funny to see. Um, I kind of felt bad for him, <laughs> just based on how he got how he got portrayed. Uh, the Bogosian thing was cool. Yes. Uh, the Spezza with the family was cool. Um, you know, his dad really reminds me of, of Jason. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I don't know. I don't want to say I was disappointed by it, but I do think that it probably got so much stuff probably got cut out from it that uh, I think it could have been so much better if we got even more. Yeah. Uh, maybe. I'm just I mean, waiting. they're trying to squeeze, they're trying to squeeze a, you know, a full season. Um, with playoffs virtually into six episodes so there's going to be a lot that gets cut yeah. um, I definitely got the sense and I mean this is obvious but I definitely got the sense that they they obviously thought they were going to go on a much larger run than they did because um, like the, the the show just kind of like abruptly ends like they virtually lose in game seven and then they kind of show like the fans and stuff and then it just kind of ends um, I thought they were going to do a little bit more off-season stuff since they didn't get second round and third round and fourth round footage. But uh, so that part was definitely disappointing. Yeah, I don't know. I give it like a six out of ten, to be honest. It was fine. I'd watch it again, but it wasn't like the F1 documentary. That was so good. Um, or even like, remember when the Randy Carlisle toaster? Like, we, we needed some of those. Well, it, you can't compare it to that. That had the goat Phil Kessel. They like, should have traded for Kessel just so they could have got him in that documentary because Kessel is the star of, of these documentaries. Like the Kessel Bozak, like I watch that on a monthly <laughs> basis, them in their apartment. So yeah, they definitely didn't have a star like that. Uh, <laughs> that was, oh man, like I still miss him. <laughs> that that team will always have a special you know spot in my heart. So let's get into uh, our last question here which is how many points do you want the Leafs to get? This, not do you want the Leafs to get, but will you be happy with? So they got three games. 
And by the way, it looks like Richie is wearing white, whereas Matthews is wearing blue. So maybe Richie's coming out of the top six. We haven't got the lines. Um, Amadio is filling in on defense because Muzzin's not there, but I don't think Amadio will be in the in the defense lineup. We'll see. Um, so we won't get the lines, but in terms of this week, they are playing American teams, which I am thrilled about. They got the Rangers on Monday. They have the San Jose Sharks on Friday, and they got the Pittsburgh Penguins on Saturday. No Malkin. I think Crosby will be back. What's out of those three games, what will you be happy with? I guess I'll be happy with four. Um, I think they're all winnable games. Yeah. Um, like you're, you're definitely, definitely none of those three teams are in the top seven. I would say in the NHL, um, especially if Penguins are missing Malkin. I'll say I'll, I'll I'll be happy with four, but I want five or six because I think they're all winnable games. Yeah, I think I like four or six. I think is kind of like the standard to be happy with, but. All three of these are winnable. I think if they get less than four, I'll be pretty disappointed. Like, I don't think three... Like, three is kind of like, eh. You should definitely beat the Sharks. I'm kind of interested to see if... Like, we might get Hutchison on, on one of those games. So, I don't know. It'll be an interesting week. Hopefully, Matthews is back on Monday. Uh, what's your... Uh, what's your? You got any other predictions for us for this week? For this week? Yeah. Let's say I am going to go with Matthews... If he does play tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, and he plays the rest of the week, I say he's got at least two goals in him. Okay. And the other one is, I want to see a a first goal of the year for uh, Andre Kasha this week. Ooh. I think we'll get a Kasha goal. I like that yeah. one. Well, we're we're playing with the percentages here, so maybe it's not that, you know, that crazy for us to guess that. But the guy has seven shots in three games. One of those got to go in. Yeah, he does shoot a lot. That's true. Um, I'm going to go with the Nick Ritchie goal. I just think he's been so disappointing. He's got to do something eventually. We're, we're going to go with that route. But. Wow. You're going the opposite way of... Uh, you're going against the analytics community here. <laughs> I am. I think, I think he has two shots in three games. So you are, uh, you're asking for a high shooting percentage here. Yeah. Well, I think we'll, we'll call it a day. Um, we got a big week this week. It's great to see Leafs hockey again. It'll be great to see them play American teams again. Hopefully the Marlies are, are 2-0 and by the time everyone's listening to this. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see everyone next week.